shackles. <sighs> hey, y'all. Hey. I hope all is good. Copacetic. Everything is everything around these here parts. Summer is right around the corner, and I am so excited. Oh, my God. Beach days. I live in Jersey, so the Jersey Shore is where I hang out. I cut work to go to the beach and just lay. I don't get in the water up here now. Don't get it twisted. If I want a hypodermic in my ass, I'll go to the doctor. But I will lay on the sand all day, all day. Ooh, day and night parties, house music jams in the park, boat rides around New York City. I'm so ready. I got my fits ready. I got my shoes ready. So yes, come through, hazy, hot, and humid, come through. Let's go, Summer. This is my season. And I was born in the fall, y'all, so go figure. Anyway, so um, last week's episode was um, morose. Just fucked up, to say the least, but this week ain't that. So, um, well, let me not say that, actually. This one is kind of gross, simply put. And it's also sad, but in a different type of way, I guess. Um, today I'm going to tell you about five women, one in China and the other four are right here for the good old U.S. of A. Um, and due to different circumstances, they all ended up in predict, uh, predicaments that were quite similar, but with different outcomes. So trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. Um, the following will include descriptive and graphic details that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. I'm trying to tell y'all. I'm not even going to say it again. Trigger warning. Okay, this gets disgusting. So hold on to your seats, shockers, but not too tight, please, because I'm going to need y'all to always be able to get up and move about. So let's get into it. So we are in China. We're going to start in China because there's only one outside of the U.S. A woman by the name of Mi Yan Long. I know I'm mispronouncing her name, but we're going to call her Mi Yan the rest of this episode. She was a woman who lived with her husband, Kian Ong, O-N-G, Ong. We're going to call him Kian. And their son, Jing Yi Ong. I'm calling him Jing. Okay, so Mi Yan, Kian, and Jing. The family of three lived in a three-room apartment in Singapore, China. Mi Yan was a housewife, her husband, Jian, was unemployed, and their son, Jing, was a freelance journalist. The family lived off of Kian's uh, two government checks that he received on a monthly basis, one for the um, dollar equivalent of $318 and the other for $200 a month, so a total of $518. And Jing's monthly salary as a freelance, journal, uh, freelance journalist was anywhere between $800 and $900. Okay, so that's the background on this seemingly normal normal family. But um, I'm about to tell y'all how things went left. So on Wednesday, March 25th, 2009, Mian went into her master bathroom, sat on a toilet bowl, and did not come out. She refused to, and she stayed in the bathroom. Her husband, Kian, tried to convince her to come out to no avail as did her son, Jing. Mian would only speak to her husband. She would never respond to her son when he attempted to talk to her. Mian would not speak to anyone outside of the home either, so she wouldn't even talk to people on the phone or anything. She would only address her husband. Mian would live in her bathroom for two and a half years, exactly 902 days, totally naked. Of the 902 days that she stayed in there, she would bathe only 18 times. 18 times in two and a half years, shockers. The thought of that makes my asshole hurt. Can y'all say hemorrhoids? Her husband, Ken, would say that the only time she left the toilet was to bathe. He would, he would explain that he would bring a stool into the bathroom and Mian would move to the stool and bathe using the shower head and then back to the toilet she went. Mian would eat her meals on the toilet, too. Her husband would bring her porridge and bread and biscuits that he would prepare for her. Now, listen here. My God, talk about a helpmate. 
Talk about through thick and through thin. Talk about in sickness and in health. But Lord, I don't want a helpmate like that, okay, Lord? All right? Like, we talk about this, and I don't want that kind of helpmate. I don't want somebody that's going to help enable my crazy because, baby, there's plenty of it in this vessel. So, Ken would later admit that there were times when, you know, he would lose patience with his wife, and he contemplated leaving me and right there on the bowl because the situation was too much, and it was very difficult to deal with. But he, you know, he had a change of heart and he stayed there to care for his wife. So Kian, the husband, he hardly ever left the apartment. He wanted to be there around the clock for his wife. When Mian would get bored, Kian would move the TV and face it toward the bathroom so that Mian could watch TV and she was also entertained by the radio. Now, if, if I were in this situation and my man was sitting on the toilet for days, for years, and he's bored. Don't ask me to entertain you while you're on the toilet. Don't ask me to entertain you. Don't do that, okay? You're either gonna get up off the toilet and go outside and join the rest of us, or you're just gonna sit on the toilet and be bored. But that's just me, you know what I'm saying? That's just me. So, Mian felt tired, or when she felt tired and needed to sleep, she would just hunch over and rest her forearms on her thighs and rest and fall asleep that way. Eventually, Kian decided that enough was enough, and on uh, September 13, 2011, he finally called emergency services to remove Mian from the apartment. Mian had to be uh, forcibly removed. She was held down, wrapped in a towel, placed in a wheelchair, and taken to the hospital. Kian was asked why he took so long to help get his wife um, some help, and his response was that Mian said that she felt a strong force holding her down. I don't know how that how that's an answer. Like someone tells you a strong force is holding them down so you don't call 911 or whatever the equivalent is in China. I don't know. I don't get it. But that was enough for him to not call. And when her son Jing was asked why he didn't help, he responded that he and his mother had the same temperament of being straightforward and they would always get into arguments. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if my mother was sitting on the toilet for two years, for two days, for two hours, we would just be arguing then because um, I'm getting you off of the cola. That's what's happening. You're not going to sit on the cola with your musty and fishy ass thinking that, you know, you're in any position to run shit from the toilet or make any decisions about your, your well-being from the toilet. And um, it just won't work. And to my babies, my son and my daughter, I want to say, unless I'm stuck on a toilet with a pressure bomb, in it, like Murtaugh from Lethal Weapon, take my ass off the toilet by any means necessary, please, and thank you. So, uh, where were we? So, Mian goes from the medical hospital to a mental facility, the Institute of Mental Health, where she is admitted for 18 days, then released. Doctors say um, that Mian reported being afraid of people spraying her with water and stoning her, and that's why she couldn't leave the bathroom. Whatever. Mian went into her bathroom at age 55 or 56 because those, um, I don't know her date of birth, so I'm not sure what age she was exactly. But when she went in there, she was uh, 110, 130 pounds. And when she came out at age 58, she only weighed 65 pounds. So according to all the recent sources that I found, and when I say recent, I'm talking about 2012, um, I could not find anything after that. Mian was suffering from weak limbs. She can barely walk more than a few steps at a time. She was spending most of her time in a recliner in the living room. She slept in the chair because extending her legs to lie down caused her severe pain. In 2012, her loving husband, Kian, said Mian had been improving with the prescribed medications of eight pills a day. He also said that he was hopeful that the physiotherapy that she was receiving would help Mian regain full use of her legs. And as of 2012, Mian's bathroom visits only lasted an hour or two. Really? An hour or two? That's still a long time, son. You still got, you know, cause to worry. But whatever, <laughs> man, listen. So now let's get on a plane and take a nonstop flight all the way to Kansas. So I could tell you about the next chick. Okay. We're going to talk about Pam Babcock, who was a 35-year-old woman 
who lived with her boyfriend, Corey McFerrin, in a mobile home in Wichita, Kansas, for 16 years. Some reports say that the two had a domestic dispute, which led to Pam locking herself in the bathroom and refusing to leave. In fact, she did not come out for two years. Another one, y'all. Another one. Two years, okay? According to Corey, he wasn't sure how long she had been in the bathroom because time just went by so quick. And, quote, I can't pinpoint how long. How how can you not pinpoint how long somebody locks themselves up in the bathroom? And mind you, I just told you I, they live in a mobile home. So I don't think that um, they had more than one. So I don't know where he was going to the bathroom at, but whatever. He said that Pam was physically abused as a child and that trauma caused her phobia. What phobia? I don't know. uh, Corey would go on to say it just happened. um, I'm sorry. He went on to say, quote, it just kind of happened one day. She went in, had been in there a little while. The next time it was a little longer Then she got in. She got it in her head. She was going to stay like it was a safe place for her. End quote. He stated that he asked Pam to come out of the bathroom repeatedly to which she would reply, maybe tomorrow. Corey said that he provided Pam with food and water every day. He said that uh, Pam moved around in the bathroom and bathed and changed into the clothes that he would bring to her. He said they had conversations and had a normal relationship, except all interaction took place in the bathroom. A normal relationship. Jesus Christ of America. Now, why is this fool lying? Who has a normal relationship in a bathroom? Who? That's impossible. Then, on February 27, 2008, Corey called the police because he was worried about Pam. Apparently, Pam appeared to look weak and discombobulated, and he grew concerned. So I took that to mean that, um, you know, had she been lucid, um, you know, and everything, you know, they were still talking and having that normal relationship in the bathroom, he wouldn't have called anybody. You know what I'm saying? But because she was discombobulated, that's when he grew concerned. Anyway, when emergency responders arrived at the home, they found Pam sitting on the toilet. She had on sweatpants, which were pulled down to, uh, to her mid-thigh. Her legs looked atrophied. And to their horror and amazement, they find that Pam is fused to the toilet bowl, y'all. She is fused to the toilet. Fused to the toilet. Yeah, y'all heard me. Yes. A local sheriff who arrived on the scene would later say she was not glued. She was not tied. She was just physically stuck by her body. Mmm. 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 Child. So, many of you maybe like, you know, stuck on the word fused. Stuck on the word fused. Stuck fused. Y'all see what I did there? (laughs) She's brilliant. Anyway. You know, it means exactly as it is defined. Pam was physically stuck to the bowl. So see, her skin had attached and grown around the seat. How could this happen? I'm about to tell y'all. So according to what I read, more than likely, it was because of the wounds that formed on her butt. Pressure sores, otherwise known as bed sores, okay? So Pam's skin and tissue became trapped between the butt bone and the toilet seat, cutting off blood flow and causing the tissue to become necrotic. In other words, her butt tissue died. This would have been extremely painful, so painful that she would have avoided all movement. Because she sat for so long, those wounds became open sores. And as the tissue tried to heal and scab over, it actually scabbed over onto the toilet seat, thus fusing her down. And because she was immobile for so long and had muscle atrophy, which is the wasting away of muscle, it caused her skin to loosen. And then that skin also contoured to the seat. So those deep wounds would later become infected, causing nerve nerve damage in Pam's legs. So I think I made that clear for y'all, right? She was stuck to the toilet. Her skin had grown around the toilet seat, all right? And they didn't specify what kind of toilet seat, but in my opinion, I'm thinking that it was that cushy one. It was that cushy one, because any other one, a wooden one, 
Although, you know, wooden wooden seats are um, absorbent, which is why you shouldn't buy them because they, they trap things in them. You know what I'm saying? You should buy a plastic one because when you wipe it, you're actually wiping it. But I'm talking about the cushy ones that they used to sell, the ones that when that plastic wrapping shit used to break, it used to like cut your skin because it was so hard. And then it had that yellow cushion inside. I'm, I'm thinking it's that in my head. OK, but nobody asked me, but I'm telling y'all anyway. So next. So. Pam refuses medical treatment. According to her, she doesn't need any help. She is okay. Doesn't want to leave the comfort of the bowl. Sweetheart. 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 Mm -mm. We are not designed to be attached to toilet bowls. So you got to go. You got to go. So, you know, EMS and her boyfriend finally convince her to go, to, you know, go to the hospital, go get checked out. And she finally goes. Now, get this. In order to transport her to the hospital, Emergency services had to pry the toilet bowl from the floor and put her in the ambulance with her still attached to the Delta, y'all. She was still attached to the Delta in the ambulance with her skin wrapped around the cushiony toilet seat. Yes, God. Mm-hmm. So Pam, you know, would be detached from the bowl at the hospital. In March 2008, Corey, her boyfriend, would be charged with a misdemeanor count of mistreatment of a dependent adult. Corey would say, quote, she is an adult. She made her own decisions. I should have gotten help for her sooner. I admit that. But after a while, you kind of get used to it. End quote. I call bullshit. You do not get used to feeding people as they sit on an American standard. That doesn't happen. I'm never feeding someone that's on the toilet. That's never going to happen. That's never normal. That's it. that's just that, that's insane. Okay, for two years no less. Lies and deceit, fibs and fairy tales. Come on. So where is Pam today? Well, when she was released from the hospital in 2008, she was released to a guardian appointed through the hospital's legal department. I saw a video on YouTube which said she's um, in a wheelchair and is now an avid bowler. <laughs> On a toilet bowl to an avid bowler. It's just like, just, you know, it just keeps giving. So on July 29, 2008, a judge sentenced Corey to six months for a misdemeanor count of mistreatment of a dependent adult. He was granted probation after Pam asked for, uh, asked for leniency. Fun fact, on the same day in July, Corey was sentenced to jail for six months on an unrelated charge of lewd and lascivious behavior for exposing himself to a neighbor's daughter. Also... Corey won $20,000 uh, $20, on two separate occasions in 2008 in the state's lottery. Ain't he a lucky little widow? Child, I, I can't win nothing. I can't, I can't win a free ticket on a scratch off. Like just here, you get, get another free ticket to lose on. Like I, I can't even get that. He got 20,000 times too. Child, please. I wish he moved out of that trailer because I wouldn't want to stay there after somebody. I don't even have a toilet bowl anymore because my girlfriend took it with her to the hospital. Anyway, so there's some um, disagreement on how long Pam actually sat on the collar. Um, some reports say that authorities on the scene and medical personnel estimated a month, while some sources say two years. I believe the latter. Um, again, while I'm no medical professional, I can believe that the tissue and muscle damage that Pam experienced could be done in one month, but not that fuse situation. Absolutely not. I can't see it. Um, I believe that it would take a considerable amount of time for your skin to grow and wrap itself around the toilet seat. No? Okay. So, um, you know, y'all, please feel free to comment. Tell me what you think on Instagram and Twitter. Maybe one of y'all can change my mind, though I highly doubt it. Now, shockers, you know, that's crazy, right? I mean, you know, y'all ever sit on the toilet so long, you know, maybe maybe on your cell phone, playing a game, scrolling through social media, and then your foot falls asleep. You get the pins and needles that hurt when you try to stand. And then when you finally stand up, it takes a few seconds for the blood to flow back down to your feet. Y'all ever experienced that? No. Well, me either. But I would imagine that, you know, it would be very uncomfortable and, and very painful. So the scenarios I just described are too much for me to imagine. Anywho, I'm about to move on from toilet seats to something else, something so basic that becomes so much worse. Lord have mercy. So now we're leaving Kansas and we're headed down to Florida because there's always some fuckery in Florida. 
So, we're going to Gail Laverne Grind's house. Gail Grimes was born on August 27, 1964, and she died on August 11, 2004, at the age 39. She lived in Stewart, Florida, located in Martin County. She lived with her longtime boyfriend, Herman Thomas, and her adopted 14-year-old daughter, Deanna. She also had a 19-year-old son. I didn't see anything which stated that he lived there or didn't live with her at the time of this incident. Gail was four feet, 10 inches tall and weighed 480 pounds. One source I read provided a comparison stating that Gail was 4'10 and Shaquille is seven feet, one inches tall, one inch tall. And Gail weighed 140 pounds more than him at the time. So talk about painting a picture. Okay. This chick was short, squat and obese. Okay. She looked like a safe. That's what I saw in my head when I read that. That's a safe. Anyway, so when Gail was in her 20s, she was a totally different person. It was said that she had a, a, a hearty appetite and enjoyed cooking and shared her food with people in the neighborhood that she lived in at the time. The neighborhood that, that she lived in at that time was not a good one. There was a lot of crime and whatnot. And at that time, she weighed 300 pounds and would tell people that her obesity was caused by a thyroid problem. Now, I have a thyroid problem. And I think that I just may use that excuse because I'm having a problem dropping this toddler that I need to drop because that's about how much weight I need to lose a toddler. So anyway, her neighbors were familiar with her and her boyfriend, Henry, who was a roofer at the time. Um, it was said that he made a good living and he even bought a Japanese car, which Gail would use to drive residents to the supermarket and the church and whatnot. You know, she was a do-gooder. She helped people in the community. The people um, from the old block said that she was nice, well-liked, and she had a laugh that you could hear all over the complex because she was so big. Now, see, they didn't have to say that. They didn't have to add that part that she was so big. They could have just said she had a hearty laugh. But people are disrespectful. They're shady. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, Gail never had children of her own. However, she was awarded custody of her nine-year-old nephew and three-year-old niece, the children I mentioned earlier after her sister died. Uh, so at about the same time that she gained custody of those children, she had her, she had an accident that will lead to the circumstances that would ultimately lead to her death. The exact date was not given, but while walking around the apartment complex, the one in the bad neighborhood, Gail fell. She was lying in mud and no one could move her until the ambulance came. She had a broken leg, and it was broken, like, pretty bad. It is reported that it took her a year to recover, and during that time, she gained another 100 pounds. Uh, she got around in a wheelchair and eventually became mobile again. And then in 1994, she moved into her last home, a duplex at the Golden Gate Apartments. Then 19, 1998 comes and Gail falls again and she breaks the same leg. Her sister Vivian would say that Gail was always afraid it would happen again. This injury would permanently immobilize her. She spent every day and night on her burgundy love seat in the living room. She mostly watched TV and eventually she fell into a deep depression. Her boyfriend Herman, who was unemployed at the time, didn't really do anything. He couldn't really care for her. Um, he was a lot older than her. He was, at this point, when she died, she was 39. He was 54. Um, so he couldn't care for her. All he could do was go to the store. Um, the sources I said uh, that I read said that he bought groceries, but he didn't buy groceries. He bought junk, junk food, chips, and things like that because she couldn't get up and cook, and he certainly wasn't cooking, so groceries were not being purchased. But it was said that while Gail sat on the couch, he did nothing at all but sit in the yard drinking beer. She had other relatives um, that didn't or couldn't or wouldn't help due to different circumstances. I read sources where, you know, she had siblings um, that had drug issues and prison issues and, you know, all kinds of stuff that I'm not even going to break down those details because that's irrelevant for me to break down her other family members. But um Gail had one cousin, though, 
um, for one reason or another, never provided any assistance. And this cousin was Evelyn Harris, a person listed in court documents as the next of kin chosen to care for Gail's adopted children should something ever happen to her. This chick was a freaking family support worker for Florida's Department of Children's and Families, Children and Families, which has a unit dedicated to adult care, making Evelyn a mandated reporter. Um, and, you know, at that time, too, she was a 23 year veteran for the agency. Though, so that bitch dropped the ball. She just didn't give a fuck. So three years before Gail's death. An acquaintance said that the last time she visited Gail, the house was squalid. Okay. So the quality of life in that house was already bad before Gail was immobilized. Okay. So Gail would remain seated on the couch. Check this out, y'all. Actually, actually, the three years when when that girl came to see her, uh, to see Gail, Gail was already immobilized. So I take that back. But um, Gail would remain on that love seat, on that burgundy love seat. And I uh, post I did post a picture on Instagram. It's not that clear, but you can get the gist Um, from 1998 until 2004, six years, unable to move. She lived in total filth on Tuesday, August 10th. Gail's brother and girlfriend called 911 reporting that a woman had stopped breathing and had emphysema problems. And when emergency services arrived on the scene, this is what they found. They found a house with very little furniture and no air conditioning. It's August in Florida, y'all, and it's South Florida, okay? There was a table with letters piled high with roaches eating through the envelopes. Surrounding Gail was dozens of Publix soda cans. That's a supermarket, y'all, for those who don't know. There were empty Dorito and Ruffles bags. There were rotting and maggot-infested oranges all over the floor um, among unwashed clothing. The TV and stereo were on the floor. Some of the floor was bare, like bare concrete. In the kitchen, the fridge was not working and there was decomposing food inside. Two of the bedrooms had mattresses on the floor, one of which was partially burned, and they were also surrounded by dirty clothes and food wrappers. The walls, floors, and love seat were matted with feces and soaked in urine. The conditions were so horrendous, the, the rescue workers would have to wear protective gear and blast in fresh air to reduce the stench that permeated from the house. Remember, y'all, it's August in South Florida. That's a different type of heat. But like I said in the introduction of the show, that's heat that I'm here for. I'm here for all that sunshine. Yes. Yes, son. Yes, vitamin D. Do what you do. Yes. Yes, I'm here for it. But in, under those conditions, no, I'm not. After all of that was in place, okay, the the uh, fresh air blasting and, and rescue workers in their, um, in their spacesuits, you know, to protect them as well, they had to figure out how they was going to get Gail to the hospital. When the rescue crew attempted to take Gail off the couch, they couldn't. Gail screamed in agony as her body had become one with the couch. Yes, shockers, her skin fibers and the cloth fibers of the couch wove together with the pressure of being extremely overweight while sitting in the same position for a long period of time with the pressure wounds, the filth, the human waste, the sweat, the extreme heat. That's a recipe for some nasty shit to occur and that it did. She was stuck to the fucking couch. So they decided to transport her to the hospital while still attached to the love seat. And this week would become a large, uh, I'm sorry, a long and difficult task. Several long hours, in fact. So workers attempted to build a large structure with handles cut along the edges so that the fire, the firefighters could lift and carry Gail and the couch out of the house. Um, and there were several failed attempts. Like they made some that were like too small or they weren't strong enough. It was just a whole fucking mess. Okay. They finally got the structure situation under, con under control. They removed the sliding glass doors on the patio as that opening would be wide enough to get her and the couch through it. Then they realized they couldn't get her into the ambulance because she and the couch could not fit. 
So somehow they were able to access a trailer that was hooked up to a pickup truck, um, which they used to transport Gail. They end up leaving Gail's house at approximately 2 a.m. Okay, so that's several hours from when her brother called. All right. Mind y'all, as all of this is going down, neighbors are outside shocked and amazed because they had no idea who Gail was. Okay, remember, this is the new neighborhood, not the old neighborhood where people talk about because she's so big, she laughed and everybody could hear her, you know, and they ate up her food and stuff like that and took rides in her Japanese car. No, no, no. This is the new neighborhood. Okay, the better neighborhood. Nobody knew about this woman in this apartment. Okay, no one. They knew about the old man that sat in the yard and drank beer. They knew about the little girl that was there and some other kids that would be there with the little girl. But they had no idea that there was a woman in that house. They had no knowledge whatsoever. So talk about an introduction, honey. Talk about welcome to the neighborhood. That shit is crazy. So Gail was taken to the Martin Memorial Hospital in South Florida, where she died at 312, still attached to the love seat. They ain't even get her off that shit. And that shit flatlined. Child, listen. I don't know. I don't know. I know we all got to die, but, and I know we can't choose how we die. We ain't got no say. It's already written. But when you think about it being already written, right? Because that's what I believe. I believe, you know, however I die, that's what God had planned for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, you know, you hear about God being a comedian, that he got jokes. Do you really think? That guy wrote that down, that this chick is going to die in a love seat on a hospital gurney, still attached to the love seat on the gurney, though. That's how I want Gail to come home to me. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? And listen, I mean, no offense to y'all believers. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying. And those who know me personally know y'all know me. Y'all know my heart. You know that I'm a fool. But I'm just saying, if 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 it's all written, how are we going to go? Can you imagine that be the, the, the way that God wrote down your demise? That's insane. That's insane. Anyway, Herman, her longtime boyfriend, would say, quote, I tried to take care of her the best I could. I tried to get her up, but it, would, it wouldn't do no good, end quote. Herman was never charged with neglect or abuse. Gail's two surviving uh, siblings, the brother that called 911, and he was never named in any of the sources that I read, he said that he loved her. Mind y'all, he lived five miles away. I, you know, I don't know if he was coming to the house to visit his sister and just didn't do anything, but when she died, he said he loved her. I guess that means something. And her sister Vivian said that Gail was a sweet person. Vivian was the one that, that said earlier that her sister always knew that she would fall and break that leg again. Okay. So, you know, Vivian is saying that she used to go to Gail's house to help wash her up while she was on the couch. And she didn't notice that something was wrong with her. She also said she didn't remember the last time she went to visit her. Bitch. I call bullshit. You don't, you don't. You don't remember the last time you went to go check on your sister? Like, that's because you didn't check on your sister. That's why. You know what I'm saying? Let alone, you 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 didn't go there and bathe her, give her a whole bath on a burgundy love seat. You know what I'm saying? You didn't do that. You know? And then and then I just the whole thing. Like, you you should have just said nothing. Just say nothing at all. If your lie is gonna be so outrageous, just shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Don't say anything. Alright. So now we're going to leave Florida and go not too far away to Louisiana. Louisiana, which is just as hot, just as swampy. <sighs> FYI, this story is very recent. As in, this story broke in uh, January of this year, 2022. And with breaking news as late as last month, May 2022. So the case is still ongoing. But I'm going to tell y'all the little bit that's out there right now. Okay. So Lacey Ellen Fletcher was born on November 25th, 1985. She was a 30, uh, 36 year old disabled woman who lived with her parents, Sheila and Clay Fletcher in Slaughter, Louisiana. Um, I believe that she was an only child. I didn't see anything, any mention of any other children, any siblings, nothing like that. Her parents were considered upstanding citizens. They were also active in their church. Sheila was a police officer and a court clerk. Okay. Talking about double duty. She was in those states' pockets. Like, eh, give me that. You know, 
I found sources describing Clay's employment as an officer of the nonprofit organization Baton Rouge Civil War Roundtable. And it was an organization with a great appreciation for the sacrifices made during the Civil War. Yeah. Lacey's upbringing was reported as being pretty normal. As a child, she was described as very smart, sweet, kind. She played um, for her, her school's volleyball team. It was said that she was fun and, uh, and outgoing. One of her old friends said that Lacey was quiet, but could be very vocal with her opinions. But by the time she turned 14, around the ninth grade, it is reported that um, her autism spectrum intensified. So... At the beginning of the story, I told you that she was a disabled woman. So I'm going to go into that. OK, so um, like I said, ninth grade, her autism supposedly intensified. Her parents decided to take her out of school and homeschool her. And um, by the time she was 17, 18 years old, her friends that she had at the school before she left, um, would describe Lacey as still being very smart, but just immature. Um, they would say this because she would invite them over to watch Disney animated movies. So, you know, keep in mind, I just told you, these kids at this point are 17, and eight year, 18 years old. So they weren't trying to go to Lacey's crib for the sole purpose of watching No Little Mermaid. You know what I'm saying? I know I wouldn't. Well, I take that back. I take that back. I take that back. I would have hung out with Lacey if she wanted to walk Cinderella, okay? Because your girl loves some Cinderella, okay? And not not any Cinderella, not all of them, not the brandy one, not the new ones. No, 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 no. The old 1950s one, okay? The one in Technicolor. Yes, Shockers. I love that movie. I know all the words to that movie. It's everything. I love, 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 love it. So yes, I would have been hanging out with Lacey to watch Cinderella. But you know, The Little Mermaid and all of the rest of that. No, I'm sorry. I'm going outside. We grown. We doing big things. So no, I'm trying to sneak some liquor and all of that stuff. So no, her friends wasn't trying to sit with her and watch Little Mermaid like I just said. Next. After her parents removed her from school, people rarely ever saw Lacey. So I'm going to go a little bit into... um the disability, okay? So some sources say that um, she was autistic, okay? And other reports say that she suffered from this condition called locked-in syndrome. What is that, you ask? Well, I checked the Google, and so I'm about to tell y'all. So locked-in syndrome is defined as a neurological disorder in which there is a complete paralysis of all voluntary muscles except for the ones that control eye movement. Um, individuals with this condition are conscious and awake, but are unable to move aside from eye movement. Um, and, you know, they're unable to move or speak. Uh, their cognitive function is usually unaffected. Communication is done by eye movement and or blinking. The condition is caused by damage to a section of the brain called the pons, which contains nerve fibers that send information to other areas of the brain. This condition... Um, has no cure. There are different degrees of this condition. I'm not going to go into all of them, but there is one called total locked-in syndrome, which also paralyzes the eyes. So it's just like total paralysis, but the person is conscious, which is, it just made me think of when you hear about people who go, um, go into surgery and um, the, you know, they have anesthesia and that puts them to sleep, but they're still awake and alert and they can hear the doctors and they can feel everything, but they just can't move. That's what it, you know, came to my mind. That's what came to my mind. Anyway, so in reading this description of LIS, the locked in syndrome, and um, comparing it to the way that people who knew Lacey described her, I don't believe that she had LIS somewhat, you know, um, I didn't find any source explaining any uh, accident or situation which would cause her to have a brain injury that would bring on the condition. Um, I also, you know, don't see how someone who has LIS would be in school playing volleyball. Um, you know, like it just makes no sense to me. But um, I don't know. I, you know, I who who knows? I, you know, I don't. But this is just my thoughts. So on January 3rd, 2022 at 2 a.m. Sheila called 911 to report that Lacey was not breathing. Sheila, her mother. Okay, 
I read um, that the only reason why she called was because a neighbor was at the home and told her that she had to call the, the authorities. Now, I didn't see anything as to why a neighbor would be at her house that time of the night, but I'm thinking she probably called her neighbor first, not knowing what to do. And her neighbor was like, bitch, you better call the fucking, um, you better call the peoples. You better call the, get them peoples here immediately. So <laughs> as y'all can imagine, the sheriff's deputy arrived at the scene very quickly, you know, given the fact that they would go into the home of a fellow officer. So shockers, shockers, shockers. I'm about to break down the gruesome scene that they stumbled upon when they went to Lacey's house. Okay. First, when the officers approached the front door of the house, they were assaulted by a stench of fecal material and urine. And as they enter the home, they see Lacey's body on the couch. Lacey's body is not seated on the couch, but rather in it. Yes, I said in it. She is sunken in a shoulder width hole filled with liquid feces and urine that has that has formed over years of her sitting in one place. So it's the, the couch, and I didn't post a picture of the couch because it's disgusting. And um, I don't want no problems with the powers that be, with the social media. I'm, I, you know, I can't afford to go to social media jail right now with my little new fledgling show. So I didn't post it. But if y'all want to see that picture, y'all can look it up. Just, just look up Lacey uh, uh, Fletcher and then go to images and you will see the couch. It's disgusting. Okay. So she's emaciated. She's naked except for a small t-shirt, which doesn't even cover her breasts, okay? Her eyes are wide open, staring off into space. Her mouth is also wide open, you know, just showing the top row of her teeth. Her legs are crossed underneath her, in the hole. Her legs are crossed. She's sitting Indian style in this hole in the couch, okay? Um, her face is covered with large red blotches. Almost her entire body is smeared with feces. It's matted in her hair. It's even in her ears. She has shit in her ears, y'all. Okay? There are maggots and insect bites all over her entire body. Maggots in her hair all the way down to inside of that couch all up in her. Okay? The brown sofa is, is, is you know, like 18 inches from the wall. And when the when the officers look behind in that gap, they see like a, a like a warped, big, wet stain from years of urine, just just staining and, and destroying the wooden floor. OK, now next to the couch was a portable toilet, a neat pile of clothing, lotion bottles, talcum powder, disposable wipes, nasal spray. Bitch, stop the madness. I know her mother put that shit there right before her peoples came to make it look good. You know what I'm saying? You know, who, if you really cared for Lacey, she wouldn't have been like sunken in a goddamn couch, being swallowed up by this damn couch. You know what I'm saying? Who, who does that to a person, let alone your own child? Like that shit is crazy. And then you want to pull out the props to save face. Child, I'm... Uh... I'm just, I, I'm, I don't know. Like, I, I choose violence. I choose violence. That's when you start punching on the face. So, the Fletchers were in the kitchen as the coroners conducted a basic examination of Lacey's remains while they were still in the house. And um, they recorded her official time of death as 3.07 a.m. January 3rd of this year, 2022. However, the coroner estimated that Lacey died 24 to 48 hours before her mother called 911. I choose violence. I choose violence. The forensic examination will show that she weighed a mere 96 pounds. Some of her back and, and butt flesh had blackened, like totally blackened. Other flesh on her um, buttocks had totally worn away totally worn away from sitting on the couch. Guess how long she was sitting on the couch? I know y'all can't hear me and like, you know, like y'all can't respond to me or whatever, but I'm about to tell y'all. She was on that couch for 12 years. She sat on that couch for 12 years. Yes. Lacey also had COVID when she died. 
The investigation also discovered that the last time Lacey had been treated by a doctor was when she was 16 years old, 20 years before her death. Her caregivers completely failed her. So again, photos and videos were taken of Lacey, you know, in the couch, but were never released publicly and deemed, you know, they were deemed unpublishable. You know, um, again, there are pictures of the sofa online. There are pictures of her house. I posted pictures of her house. I posted pictures of her parents, their mugshots. I posted a picture of her. Um, but that couch ain't nothing nice, y'all. It ain't nothing nice. Um, it's crazy. Sheila would claim that Lacey was alive at 10 p.m. the night before and that when she woke up at two in the morning and checked on her daughter, she realized she wasn't breathing. Despite the conditions that Lacey was found in, her parents were not immediately charged. But on May 3rd, both Clay and Sheila were charged with second degree murder. They were arrested after a grand jury decided, along with the district attorney, Sam DeKilla, De I'm probably mispronouncing that, but whatever. Uh, they decided that uh, they should face second degree murder charges and not manslaughter. Their their bail was set at $300,000 each. They posted bond, which was 12 percent, making it a combined total of $72,000. Sheila was released on May 4th. Clay was released on May 5th. The couple's attorney, Stephen Moore, issued a statement on behalf of his clients, and he said, quote, they don't want to relive the pain of losing a child through the media. They have been through many heartaches over the years. Anyone who has lost a child knows what it is like, end quote. My mans, you and your clients should shut the fuck up forever. Don't say nothing. Remain silent like you did for the past 12 years at that woman, your daughter, sat there rotting in your, uh, in your leather sofa. The, the sofa is leather too, y'all, which y'all could see if y'all go and check. Um, so as of right now, District Attorney the killer, Sam the killer, said that the trial could commence by October of 2022. So um, I guess we'll see what happens in the fall. Last but not least, we're going to go back to Kansas. This is related, kind of, sort of, but not really, but kind of. In April 2012, an unnamed 54-year-old morbidly obese woman who, who was left for dead after she fell off of her living room couch and onto the floor and couldn't find her way back up. She couldn't hoist herself back up, period. Police think she was left on the floor between three days and three weeks before her brother called 911. Okay, so she weighed 350 pounds and was too heavy to hoist herself back up onto the couch. So her mother and brother didn't have the strength to help her up either. Okay, so while she was on the floor, you know, they did the best, the next best thing. They fed her while she was on the floor, like, you know, like a freaking dog. Eventually, the woman would develop pressure sores that would become infected and she would lose the ability to speak. Her mother would say that they waited so long to call emergency services because her daughter insisted she was fine. She said that they called 911 after three days when her daughter could no longer speak. Emergency services rushed the woman to Via Christa, I'm sorry, Via Christi Hospital, where she passed away due to complications from infected bed sores. Now, you mean to tell me that if somebody falls on the floor and they can't get up, I know y'all remember the commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. Those people knew to press their little, um, their little safety bracelets to ask for help so that somebody could get them up. It doesn't matter if they were fine. They know they're not supposed to be on the goddamn floor. So I don't know why her mother and her brother just left her there until she couldn't breathe. Like as soon as she fell and she couldn't get up and you guys couldn't pick her up, that's when you were supposed to call um, emergency services to pick her up. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's just me because, you know, common sense ain't common. So, you know, I don't know. But I don't even have any more or any any snarky or silly closing remarks on on all of these cases because these stories are just tragic and what's worse the situations were for the most part avoidable and the outcomes were just downright senseless what i will say is if you know someone in this predicament or any situation that poses a danger to their well-being and or life please step up offer assistance get them some help Sometimes people don't know how to ask for help on their own. And sometimes people don't even know that they need it or realize how dire their situation truly is. That is until someone points it out to them. 
It may not be easy. They may get mad. But ask yourself, is it necessary? If the answer is yes, act on it immediately, quickly, post haste. Don't be deterred by the fact that the person will be mad or in their feelings. That's a small thing. You can worry about that after they get the help they need. Comprende? So, shockers, our story ends here. It ends here, y'all. Yes. <sighs> Thanks for listening. Thank you. Also, I want to thank my new subscribers for their donations to the show. Again, donations will help me to continue to deliver great content. So if the spirit moves you, you know what to do. As always, you can show your support, liking, following, downloading on the platforms where my show is available. Amazon Music, Anchor, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher. Please like and follow on the social media, Instagram, The Real Shell Shock, and on Twitter, Real Shell Shock. Please leave a review. Let me know what you think. Also, please share, tell a friend, and tell a friend to tell a friend, and so on and so on. So, you know, until we meet again, take care, and always remember to protect your peace. Smooches. Thank you.